Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and I'm joined as always by Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. Hey, John. Hi, Zach. And joining me from Pembroke Pines is Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Fins. Howdy, Antonio. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, on Wednesday, President Donald Trump became the only president to be impeached twice after a mob of his supporters overran the U.S. Capitol, leading to five deaths. We'll talk about how Florida's 27-member House delegation voted on impeachment, the increasing number of corporate donors who say they won't contribute to Republicans who voted not to certify the Electoral College results, and what that could mean for Rick Scott's fundraising ability and the big budget hole Florida faces because of COVID-19. But first. All right, we got some numbers here today, gentlemen. Uh, How about you, Antonio? Yeah, I'm gonna go kind of high this week. I'm gonna go with 646,327 to be precise. All right, very precise. How about you, John? Yeah, Zach, you know, I think we're approaching mid-January and that time when you're supposed to stop wishing people Happy New Year. But uh, I'm coming in with a big, robust New Year's baby of a number today, and that's 305,000. 305,000. All right. And I am going to go low with a five. So that's 646, 327 for Antonio, 305,000 for John, and five for me. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, no Republicans voted to impeach Trump when he was accused of using his power as president to pressure Ukraine to dig up dirt on his Democratic opponent. But this time around, impeachment did have some bipartisan support, including from the third highest ranking Republican in the House. There were 10 Republicans who voted for impeachment. Antonio, what about in Florida? How did the Florida delegation vote? Well, guys, you know, it was deja vu all over again. You know, Florida lawmakers voted in Wednesday's impeachment vote much, very much like they did in the first impeachment vote back in December 2019, meaning meaning they voted across party lines. Republicans voted against impeaching President Trump and Democrats voted in favor. But I will say that this impeachment debate in the Capitol yesterday held its share of fireworks, including fiery speeches by Floridians. Most notably was Matt Gates, uh, never one to disappoint. Gates railed against the left or lighting, or he said, lighting the match that burned down cities and police stations. And then Bill Posey noted that, quote unquote, Trump's sins were not treasonous. He, he didn't really explain what those sins were. But the most curious of all was Brian Mast. He stood up and asked if any of the insurrectionists from last week's ride at the Capitol would be brought to the House chamber to testify that indeed they went to the Capitol and they rioted in the Capitol on the orders, the direct orders of President Trump. Then Congressman Mass stood there silently while the bulk of his time, about 30 seconds, ran out, then concluded that he would not get an answer, so he yielded the floor back. Okay. Uh, Democrats were much more to the point when it comes to being on message. And in many ways, they kind of had the easiest message, the easiest task yesterday, the easier of the two tasks. Kathy T- Castor of Tampa, you know, quote unquote, said that traitor's incitement of the insurrection of the U.S. Capitol was, she said, the single most depraved betrayal of the U.S. Constitution ever committed by a president. Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Weston said five people noted that five people were dead, including a police officer. The Capitol had been desecrated, and she said, quote-unquote, we're in a second constitutional crisis. And, of course, Lois Frankel just got, of West Palm Beach, just got to the point, saying, 
I think it's pretty clear the president incited a violent insurrection against our democracy. And as I said before, it's because Democrats kind of had the easier task. I mean, we everybody in America saw this happen live on television on January 6th. They saw people going into the Capitol. They saw the fights. They saw the mayhem. They saw the violence. They seen the reports of, you know, the, the woman that was killed in the Capitol and then heard about, you know, the police, the Capitol police officer who died. And they, they've seen the insurrection. They've been following the arrest. Um, so Democrats really, to a large extent, just need to stand up in the House and state the obvious. Uh, Republicans had a much harder task. And in Florida, it was a task complicated by the fact that, number one, Trump remains extremely popular among Florida Republicans and his base here. Antonio, I saw I saw a poll that came out uh, today that said, um, you know, Trump's approval rating is at a historic low in, in the low 30s. But the, among Republicans, 75 percent of them still approve of him. After this riot, uh, I mean, is that, you think, driving a lot of this? Yeah, it's driving all of it. But, you know, I think that you could even make the question, ask the question, what about conservative-leaning independents that seem to have gone with Trump on the November 3rd vote here in Florida? I, you know, I, I would not be shocked if many of them are still looking at this and, 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 and still on the fence, maybe. I don't know. But I think, you know, that's the fact that, the Republican base and the Trump base in Florida is still firmly behind the president is one of the reasons why these members, the Republican members of Congress had a difficult task. And then the other one is, let's not forget that come next Wednesday, January 20th, uh, we expect that Mr. Trump, former President Trump, will be coming back to South Florida, to Mar-a-Lago, where he'll, he will take up residence. And number three, you know, I think that put the two together, one and two, and number three tells you that it, this still very much looks like Mr. Former President Trump will be a kingmaker in Florida politics. So Republicans not only had to vote against impeachment, gentlemen, they also had to stand up and defend the president. And that was really that you could tell that a lot of them were really struggling to do that. Um, none of them like Gates and Posey did. But not all. And this speaks to the fact that the Capitol riot is going to hang over Trump and Florida Republicans like a summer thunderstorm that ruins a day at the beach for people. You know, pre-riot, the post-Trump presidency had a clear-cut narrative here in Florida. It was going to go something like this. Democrats stole the election, and Florida, like the Space Coast, would be a launching pad for Trump's next act, his comeback. Now, well, it's a muddier than even Rudy Giuliani's hair dive. Trump's appeal is damaged. His brand, his business brand, appears also damaged. And Florida Republicans are caught between the truth of what happened on January 6th and the truth that an election they were happy to claim was stolen was actually fairly won by Joe Biden. And I believe the catchphrase, an inconvenient truth, is one that's been thrown around a lot in the last two decades. But in Florida, these may well be self-defeating troops for Republicans. So we have a, a new year, but uh, the same story on impeachment with the Florida delegation breaking uh, along partisan lines. John, what does that tell you um, about Florida Republicans as Trump leaves office? They still don't seem eager to go against a guy who many people believe incited an insurrection and tried to stop uh, the peaceful transfer of power. He still seems to have a, a big grip on the Florida GOP, the, the Republican Party of Florida 
Um, you know, they're going to elect their officers on uh, Saturday. And it looks like Joe Gruters is still in line to become to stay as party chairman. He's a huge Trump supporter. I mean, what does all this tell you? Yeah, it seems Florida Republican elected officials seem, you know, across the board to be remaining loyal to the president no matter what. Uh, you know, but despite the poll numbers you've cited, you know, I, I, I do wonder about how the Trump brand is doing now as he's leaving office. Uh, Florida Republicans seem to think it, it, it's still robust, but um, I'm not too sure across uh, the rank and file Republican voters right now. I think there is a there is some level of pause for, for many uh, Floridians right now. Uh, the Florida Republicans, they, they all condemn the violent attacks on the uh, U.S. Capitol and they praise the efforts of the uh, outmanned Capitol Police, but no Florida members of Congress, the legislature, or Governor DeSantis have stepped up and condemned the president's urging people to, you know, march the length of the Washington Mall and show Congress how they really feel about, uh, you know, fight for him, which, of course, is what sparked the attack. Uh, Florida Republicans seem to feel that there's some shelter in the, in the knowledge that he won the state by a wide margin in November even as he lost the presidency. I've had, a, I've had a few Republicans tell me that, you know, like there's, there's no problem here in Florida. We're not going to expect any, uh, you know, major uh, uh, presence at the state capitol when it comes to uh, protesting, um, you know, the, the, the Biden inauguration at a distance, partly because they feel, you know, the Florida, the Florida capitol remains in Republican hands. Uh, the Florida GOP seems to be frozen in that time that feeling that the actions since the November election, the, the attempted coercion of Georgia election officials to find more than 11,000 votes to give him the victory over Biden, his uh, refusal for weeks to accept the election's outcome, the loss of the U.S. Senate to go with the U.S. House going Democratic in 2018, none of these events seem to cause Florida Republicans to pause and say, you know, hmm, maybe this is not so good for them. Instead, like, like lemmings, they seem to be ready to follow President Trump off the off the cliff. And John, it almost seems like impeachment is is sort of causing them to dig in um, even further. You know, it, it did seem like right after this riot, um, you know, I mean, it was it was sort of crickets from from Republicans, and and I don't think anybody was defending what happened because it's indefensible, and and there was a. Uh, kind of just a, a quiet um, sort of shock that was was out there. But then, you know, the, the politics takes hold and, and the impeachment, um, you know, moves forward. And, and it almost seems like there's this reflexive effort to fight the other side. Um, I, I just wonder if if, um, if if you think this has caused the, the party to dig in more than it might have otherwise. Well, there is a sort of defiance right now that uh... – while they're condemning the violence, uh, they seem to be very uh, satisfied with President Trump and uh, still willing to uh, attach their own political futures to uh, to his. Well, as Republicans look for a way forward after Trump in the Capitol riot, some may struggle to raise money. A growing number of companies are saying they won't contribute to, to GOP lawmakers who voted not to certify the Electoral College vote, which many saw as an attack on free and fair elections. Disney, which obviously has a big presence in Florida, became the latest company to announce that it's holding back donations. This could have an especially big impact here in Florida because most of the state's GOP House members and the state's junior U.S. Senator Rick Scott are among the senators who voted not to certify. 
Scott's up for a re-election in 2024. He also is in charge of the fundraising for National Republican, um, the National Republican Senatorial Committee as it looks to take back the Senate in 2022. Antonio, there's been some reporting that Republicans are worried Scott won't be able to raise money and that the GOP could be at a disadvantage in the Senate races, which includes uh, Marco Rubio's Senate race. What are your thoughts? Yes, well, that's yeah, exactly right. I mean, the fact of the matter is that some major companies You've named some of them. There are others that are saying that they will not donate to these these Republicans. And, you know, obviously money is the lifeblood of any campaign. But, Zach, I got to tell you, I mean, at the same time, they seem to have an even bigger problem right now than just the money. They are, like, like I said earlier, wedged between the truth and reality. Let's go back to yesterday's floor debate in the House. And one of the most telling moments came about midway through the debate. But it wasn't a speech delivered by a Florida lawmaker or even a a Democrat. It was actually delivered by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, the California California Republican. In his remarks, McCarthy told the truth about a lie that some Republicans, including some in Florida, have been propagating after the Capitol riot, namely that it was leftist Antifa activists who perpetrated the violence. Yeah, Antonio, I've. I've I've heard that from people. I, I talked to last week. I was talking to some Republicans to just take the temperature of the party after this riot, and I had somebody tell me, "No way, no way that this could have been Trump supporters. No way, you know, Trump supporters are peaceful. It, it had to be Antifa." I mean, this is like something that's proliferated uh, very widely in conservative circles. Sort of a sense of denial that Trump supporters actually did this, and and uh, it's it. <laughs> Remarkable, and then and McCarthy shoots it down. Well, he shot it down, and that's that's just the. Um, I I think if you're Republicans and Florida Republicans, you're wondering is that just the tip of the iceberg? I mean, unfortunately for Republicans, that isn't the only baseless claim that they have been pushing. The bigger one, and now the much more potentially damaging unfounded allegation, is that Democrats quote unquote stole the election. You know, we have discussed this at length in this podcast over the last two months, and that, that this is just a baseless claim. There's there's no truth behind it, but that's where we are. And by the way, that is where Rick Scott comes in and where Rick Scott may actually drag Marco Rubio in with him because Scott voted, as you mentioned earlier, on January 6th to contest the election results from Pennsylvania. And, you know, Republicans played their card and now they may end up playing paying the price. In the case of Rick Scott, he has been, like you mentioned, picked to lead this senatorial group that raises money for Republicans running for the Senate. And now there is concern that because of his vote in Pen- on the Pennsylvania elector slate, corporations may shun him and he won't be able to raise the millions of GOP will need to take back the Senate in 2022. And let's remember that they lost the Senate. They lost the two Senate races in Georgia just a week ago. Um, and now in Rubio's case, he voted to certify all the Electoral College races. So he won't be shunned per se. So I, I, I think uh, folks that I spoke to think that he will be able to raise money. And he is popular in Florida. So, But then, of course, there's the flip side of that, guys. Has Rubio, yeah, Rubio will be able to raise money and he may not be shunned. But in voting to certify those races, all the, the races, and to certify Biden's win... Has he now alienated the Trump base? That is why I say that Republicans are sandwiched between the truth and reality. The truth is their claims of election fraud 
are an untruth. And the reality is that they have sold it to a Republican base that has believed that lock, stock and barrel. And now, rather than organize themselves to oppose the Biden administration and get ready for the 2022 midterm elections, their task is to untangle that web of lies. Good luck with that, guys. Yeah, so maybe a deeper problem for the party than money here, and and that's uh, trying to um, get back into uh, you know kind of get the base uh, out of the mentality that uh, you know of believing that uh, the entire system is is uh, uh, based on fraud here. Well, talking about money woes, Florida's budget has been hit hard after the coronavirus caused tax revenues to plummet. State lawmakers met in Tallahassee this week for the first time since the pandemic began, and the budget was a big topic of discussion. John, sounds like pretty much everything is potentially on the chopping block when it comes to uh, what might get cut, including public education. Yeah, it does seem like that right now. Uh, the lawmakers knew that this is coming, a $2 billion shortfall in the roughly uh, $92 billion state budget that they'll be putting together this spring for the year that starts in July. But uh, this week, House and Senate Budget Committee started taking stock of it for the first time. And uh, Republican leaders in both chambers seem pretty resigned to look toward deep cuts. And sadly, uh, you know, education and health and human services really represent the overwhelming biggest share of state spending. So, well, that's where the cuts will be the deepest. Um, along with the decline in uh, anticipated state tax collections, there's uh, about $3.3 billion less than what the legislature was expecting to receive over the next two years. There's also an increase in demand. Uh, Medicaid spending is going to uh, need another $1.2 billion in state money this year to keep going and meet the needs of a population whose, whose numbers have really shot about one in five Floridians. Uh, you know, Part of it is caused by hundreds of thousands of people who have lost jobs and health insurance in the pandemic. Now, uh, one House Democrat, um, Representative Joe Geller of Aventura, he suggested that the House approach the budget cutting on kind of on two levels, one working on the kind of cuts that maybe Republicans think are necessary right now, but also Geller wants them to put together what he calls a plan B, a budget that takes into consideration the possibility that federal relief money could arrive before they have to finalize a budget, which would probably be about the beginning of May. You know, remember now, soon to be president, Joe Biden has said that he wants another big federal stimulus package to come out of Congress. And this one is considered to be helpful to uh, state and local governments, you know, to a great degree. And uh, this will be a, a Democratic controlled Congress. And some of the states hurting most are Democratic leaning, New York, California, Illinois, among them. So Florida, which is Republican controlled, has a budget that is bad, but maybe not as, as bad as some of the other states, uh, actually may benefit from whatever comes out of Congress and the new Biden administration. So here in Florida, Washington Democrats may come to the rescue of state Republican budget writers and make their job a little less difficult. And uh, best of all, this windfall might keep some of those already challenged uh, school, uh, university and social service programs from facing what look like deep, deep spending reductions uh, just at a time when Floridians need them most. John, let, let, let's set aside for a second the federal funding. I mean, it does seem like a, more stimulus is is uh, quite possible, if not likely. Um, but if it, if that doesn't come through, 
you know, do you do you you really think that I mean, with schools right now, I think a lot of people, um, you know, that that might be one area of the budget that that really impacts, you know, very broadly across the state. And um, a lot of people are interested in that, especially during a pandemic when schools are struggling to, um, you know, with extra uh, requirements for public safety, public health, and, and trying to uh, keep kids safe. Uh, I, I remember when Rick Scott came into office during uh, the Great Recession, and and he cut schools and it, uh, school funding, and it was very very unpopular. And he never tried to cut school funding again, and always tried to increase school funding. Do you think in the end that that lawmakers would do much to uh, reduce uh, classroom instruction or if they try to look elsewhere? Well, they they will try to look elsewhere, you know, for for the the bulk of uh, the cuts. But schools may face some trimming. Uh, You know, know, it's somewhat ironic, too, because uh, probably by the fall of next year, we will have even more students back in conventional classrooms uh, as, you know, the pandemic you know, maybe uh, the the vaccines start having an effect on uh, on community spread and the the passion for people sending their kids to in school instruction gets even higher. It's already quite high. So uh, reducing uh, pupil funding is, is is you know always a problem for lawmakers and it's a problem for parents and for for school officials as well. So um, I think they will try to uh, keep that back. You, you, you mentioned Scott and his uh, decisions back, you know, a decade ago. It took uh, Florida the better part of this past decade to return to the per pupil funding levels that they were at back in, uh, you know, 2007, uh, right before the uh, housing crunch. So it does have a really long term effect when you start cutting money direct that's going directly into the classrooms. And uh, they, they are talking, though, for example, at the university level, there's there's some level of uh, discussion about raising tuition, which is also something of a paradox, because uh, you do have a lot of parents and a lot of students out there right now that are kind of questioning the amount of money they're already paying for education, because so much of this past year, of course, has been uh, Zoom education. And uh, they're kind of wondering, you know, is this really worth the dollars I'm already spending on it? And here legislators are saying, well, universities are, are hurting so badly right now for money that one way that they could try to pump some money into that sector of education is to increase tuition, which has largely gotten touched for m- much of the past decade. Right, because Rick Scott, you know, basically refused to allow universities to increase tuition, basically um, compared it to a tax increase and, and was very adamantly uh, opposed to it, but it is an area where, you know, lawmakers could, um, you know, uh, help close the budget gap without raising taxes and and without really taking the blame themselves because it would be the universities um, doing this. Uh, what do you think? Is that is that a real likelihood? Is DeSantis open to that? Yeah, we haven't heard anything really from DeSantis on that. Uh, I, I He is not a fan of uh, raising tuition, has not been, at least in his first couple of years. So uh, the, the tuition increase idea largely emanated from the uh, the mind of uh, Senate President Wilton Simpson. But Simpson has thrown out a lot of uh, provocative, uh, you know, potential areas where the state can try to save money, including uh, p- holding off work on uh, a reservoir in the area near Lake Okeechobee, which was used to try to ease water releases, which of course in turn 
the water releases help fuel uh, blue-green algae and uh, red tide uh, on the two coasts. So that's been an environmental problem that they thought they were trying to solve with uh, the creation of the reservoir that now Simpson says may be too costly for this year. And then the other is the uh, three toll roads that were just approved uh, a, a couple of years ago under the uh, control of uh, then Senate President uh, Bill Galvano, who saw this as a way to uh, really open up some interior sections of uh, Florida to uh, development and, uh, you know, internet access and a whole bunch of other things that he talked about, uh, the, the benefits of these toll roads. But again, that's a big ticket item that a budget year where they're, you know, literally, uh, you know, looking for money under the sofas, uh, sofa cushions, uh, you kind of wonder, uh, you know, are they going to be able to continue with these, uh, these large initiatives? And, uh, you know, it's kind of an unknown right now. We're in January and the, the full session doesn't begin until March. But these are the concepts that are being thrown out there right now. I don't think any environmentalists would be shedding any tears if uh, the budget crunch leads uh, those toll roads to go away. Obviously, a pretty controversial uh, project when it got approved. Well, we'll move on to some numbers uh, here. Antonio, you had 646,327. Tell us about that. Well, that is the most recent number, <clears throat> the most recent number of people in Florida who have received the uh, coronavirus vaccine. And now that may sound like a lot, but when you consider that Florida has 20 million residents and that we have a larger share of older, more at-risk residents than most other states, it is a fairly small number that points to the fact that this vaccine rollout has been nothing short of yet another debacle in the coronavirus response in Florida uh, for our residents and ultimately for our governor. And I would venture, if not for the riot and the impeachment, the riot at the Capitol and the impeachment and the political drama that our nation and state has been living through in the last week, I would venture to guess that the, vac the, the problems with the vaccine rollout would have dominated this discussion on the podcast today. Uh, it didn't because there are other drama that we have to discuss, but um, clearly this rollout of this long-awaited and much-needed solution um, for the pandemic in Florida is, is struggling well into its, you know, more than a month into this. Um, you know, the latest glitch I'll tell you about, it was the story that, you know, Jane Musgrave wrote for the Palm Beach Post, and it dealt with this glitch uh, from this email blast that was supposed to have calmed anxious seniors about their chances of receiving the vaccine. And it kind of imploded in the Palm Beach Health Department this week when its system was unable to send out the messages in one mass shot. Uh, you know, blaming technical glitches, health officials on Wednesday said that their system just simply could not handle sending all 120,000 emails at once. So the emails actually, the emails were supposed to have assured seniors that the request for appointments had been received and were being processed. But those emails, instead of this one blast to calm everybody, they went out incrementally. Um, so Look, it was a technical glitch, and you think about it in the large scheme of things, uh, you know, maybe it's not that big a deal. There are more things to get outraged about. The problem is this is on top of a lot of other frustrations that particularly seniors are encountering in trying to sign up and get access to this vaccine. And, you know, it, it's as someone I know said, put it, it's almost like what we're seeing in Florida is vaccine hunger games. 
Um, you know, look, I, I've, I've heard of all these anecdotal things that I've been able to, to show that there are, that I've come to the conclusion that there are, that happened. I mean, there was a hospital that, you know, got doses of the vaccine and, and they sent out, they, they made it available to their vendors. You know, that we, I, I've heard of, you know, people at an, who are employed at a company have gotten so frustrated with not having resources that they actually all got together and put together a master list of all the local places in their, in their county uh, that are giving out the vaccines to help people find a, create almost like a database of where you can access it. Then there's a larger issue that, yes, the, the, the state is prioritizing people age 65 and older. The problem is that someone who is 65 is probably cognitively is very capable of going online and signing up with a vaccine. But someone who's 80 who may be suffering some form of dementia or, or not as cognitively sharp, there's no way they're going to be able to navigate this. I mean, I, I did it for some of my older relatives. And I'm telling you, there's no way they could have done it on their own. So if you're a senior in this state, and particularly if you're not you know, cognitively, you're not as sharp as you were when you were younger, you're out of luck. You, there's, your, your ability to get this vaccine is next to none. I, I mean, I, I know people at one of the larger adult living long-term care facilities in Miami-Dade, and I was talking to a social worker there last week, and they have no clue when they're going to get their vaccine. And you would have thought that this facility down there would have probably have been one of the first in line. But, you know, here we are mid-January and they still don't have a clue of when they'll they'll get vaccinated. Um, and I think that, you know, this is one of those things that on top of everything else that we've heard with this pandemic and is it, creating a lot of frustration. And I will leave this with this one irony that more than at least five people have told me in the last week and a half or so. And they can't understand why the governor would not give counties the authority to enforce and implement a mask, a mask or a face covering, and enforce the rules on wearing a mask, and it, because they didn't want a patchwork of counties, different county rules. But then the vaccine, it's become a patchwork of county rules. Um, so there, there is a lot of frustration about this, and I, and I think that we're going to be talking a lot more about this as, it, as we get into the next weeks, because for many, many. Floridians, getting access to that vaccine is is the difference between having the life, getting back to the life they had, and the one that they've the hell they've been living through the last year. And this rollout is nothing short of very problematic. Yeah, I, I honestly think I've gotten more emails from the public about the vaccine than I have about impeachment in recent days. I mean, you're right; it is a, it's just a huge, uh, huge interest in this uh, for me. Recently, a lot of people have been emailing me wondering about the second shot and whether the system is set up to to get people the second shot uh, at the time that they're supposed to get it. And, and there's a lot of concern among people that, uh, you know, the, the appointments and things for that aren't um, what they should be and, and that there's going to be problems getting the second shot. So I think this is something that we're going to be following for a while here. John, your number was three hundred and five thousand. Tell us about that. Yeah, Zach, uh, $305,000 is dollars, and that's the median price of a home in Florida, a level reached in October, and uh, it's holding steady through the end of the year, according to a new report by st state economists. Uh, and it's a record. 
beating the old median price high of $256,200, which was uh, reached uh, kind of amazingly back in June 2006. Those good old days before the housing crash and the recession of 2008. But, you know, it, it's never been topped again until this fall. Uh, record low mortgage rates fueled by the federal government is what's pushing people into the Florida housing market. Uh, some people are calling it the boom and the gloom of a pandemic and an otherwise lousy economy. It does create its own economic pressures, especially on renters, and it's uh, further expanding the wealth disparity in this state, which is something that Florida lawmakers should be mindful of when they're trying to patch together a state budget and they're already looking at that $2 billion shortfall. You know, one of the areas that the legislature frequently raids is affordable housing money. They've taken $2.5 billion of money from the state's affordable housing trust fund over the past two decades and used it elsewhere to patch uh, holes in the budget or spend it on other more you know, politically favorable programs. But in this pandemic and with the uh, housing market so tight, renters and more modest income Floridians need housing help right now. And, uh, you know, ironically, this money, which is intended to build housing, uh, renovate homes and help people with down payments, it comes from a tax on real estate transactions. So this booming housing market is helping pump more money into this fund, but it becomes a fat pinata when uh, lawmakers need to raise money for other programs. So uh, that, that, too, when we're talking about the budget, that's something to watch going forward. All right. The Florida real estate market defying gravity here uh, during the the pandemic driven downturn it was interesting there was a headline in the in uh, in our paper the other day that uh, two of the best selling master planned communities in the in the nation are here in Sarasota County and they both sold um, just hundreds and hundreds of homes uh, this year which is uh, pretty interesting to see you know before all this happened though there were projections that about a million people would move to Florida every four years because of baby boomers retiring and just the natural growth in the state and it appears like people have uh, decided to stick with their plans despite um, the pandemic. Well, my number is five, as in there have been at least five people from Florida who were arrested after participating in the riot at the U.S. Capitol. That's right. As you might expect, Florida man was well represented in the riot, and it's been all men so far, no women. The arrest included a firefighter named Andy Williams from Sanford near Orlando, who was photographed inside uh, the Capitol. But the guy who's getting the most attention is Adam Johnson of Paris, which uh, is here in uh, Manatee County, about halfway between Sarasota and Tampa. Johnston is the man who was pictured smiling and waving as he walked off with Nancy Pelosi's lectern. He's a, a 35-year-old father of five who appeared at, uh, in court this week and was released on a $25,000 bail. His attorney answered questions uh, after the court appearance, and, and uh, the attorney kind of sheepishly acknowledged that his, his client was sort of caught red-handed and saying, quote, I'm not a magician when asked about uh, the photo evidence of uh, Johnson uh, in the Capitol and how that could uh, make it hard to uh, defend him. It's, it's really kind of remarkable how much photo and video evidence there is of this riot, um, and it should make it much easier for prosecutors to round up those involved. And I expect that at least a, a few more Floridians will be uh, facing charges. The Tampa Bay Times had a story just uh, this morning about a singer and vocal coach named Audrey Ann Southard from the Tampa area 
who was captured on video inside the Capitol screaming at police officers, quote, tell effing Pelosi we're coming for her. Meanwhile, Pelosi's lectern recently was returned to her and she plans to keep using it. In fact, she used it uh, to give a press conference about impeachment. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.